to Hillcrest Church Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. Good morning, friends. Uh, greetings to all of you who are here with us today and uh, those of you who are joining us online here in Bellingham, throughout the counties, and really around the world. We've got folks joining us across the United States and around the world. Um, we are delighted to be gathered together with you this morning and singing these songs uh, about the truth, about who Jesus is, who we are, what's going on in the world, and having the opportunity uh, to study what God says about himself in this book. Um, like I said, glad to have you here. Uh, good morning to you. Happy sleep-in Sunday. So uh, this is the good one where everybody got to sleep in, so I hope you enjoyed a little extra rest before you gathered with us here and before you joined us online. Um, but as we've hinted at already this morning in the songs and in the responsive prayer, uh, we're in the midst of momentous days here in our country. And for a whole bunch of reasons, but in particular because on this Tuesday we choose a new leader for four years that will have a significant impact on our entire nation, on our community. And so we find ourselves in the midst of this, I, I find myself at least frequently, I wonder if you do too, in the midst of conversations about the attributes of good leadership. What makes a good leader? You know, I think this question, what makes a good leader, is actually one of those sneaky questions that reveals something about our ultimate beliefs without asking the direct question. What, what makes a good leader? In fact, what, would I, what I'd love for you to do right now, uh, if you're sitting here or if you're at home, take a moment, find a piece of paper, a piece of scrap paper, your pen, your phone, your iPad, uh, a napkin. Uh, take a moment. I want you to answer this question. What makes a good leader? Take just write down a few attributes of good leadership on a piece of paper. Think a good leader is like this, does this. I just take a second. What? What? is a good leader. And I, again, while you're writing, I'm just going to say, I feel like we find ourselves in that conversation right now as we prepare to elect a leader to ask ourselves this question, what makes a good leader? <laughs> uh, we might have to be asking ourselves right now, what makes the leader we'll take, right? <laughs> Some of us, but uh, at least asking this question, what makes a good leader? So write a few of those down. If you're at home and you call a few out to each other, uh, that's fine, too. I have been noticing, uh, perhaps along with many of you, that our attitudes on the answer to this question have been shifting again. What do you think? Have you seen our attitudes shifting? It's, it seems to me that uh, maybe now, more than I can remember, more than even just in recent history, the answer to that question, what makes a good leader, is increasingly, these days, it seems especially becoming less about who that person is as a leader and more about what they can get done. Uh, let me summarize this position for you and see how it sits with you. I'm going to summarize it like this. Uh, good leaders 
win. Good leaders win seems to be a prevailing idea right now. Good leaders are the ones that get things done. Presumably the things I would like them to get done, right? Uh, Good leaders win for my perspective. Good leaders win uh, for my team. Um, And uh, they're probably measured first increasingly by that ability to win. Now, you might be asking yourself, how does that answering that question reveal anything about my ultimate beliefs? And I think it's because it rightly reflects uh, our answer to these kinds of questions. What is life for? What are we doing here? Who are we? And there's a couple of, let me name some extreme options. Are we simply intelligent animals living on a world that is driven by a competition for resources? Or are we created beings who are on a journey of discovery for who God is and who we are and how we participate in his work until he restores this creation? And the different answers to those questions, their ultimate reality questions that change how we interact with the world, change the choices we make, and change probably how we answer this question. If it's, if it's just option A, if we're just intelligent animals living on a planet driven by competition for resources, then despite whatever our temperament is, we kind of have to get past it, whatever our personality is, and ask ourselves these questions. Are we a wolf or a sheep? Are we a hawk or a dove? Winner or dinner, right? Uh, Or just boringly irrelevant? That's that mindset. Uh, When the poet Alfred Tennyson suddenly lost a young friend to a brain aneurysm, he found himself wrestling between these two opposing notions. A created thing, and yet life seems to be cold and cruel. Maybe we're just animals. How could it be that his friend has just suddenly died? And he wrote these uh, rather famous words in a poem called In Memoriam. Are God and nature then at strife? That nature lends such evil dreams? So careful of the type she seems so careless of the single life. And he says these words you might know, is it just nature red in tooth and claw? By the end of this poem, he lands again in his faith. He admits he's still like a crying child, but he says this poignant line, crying knowing his father is near. Is it this system, or is it the second system of being a created being? In the second view, this created being on a discovery journey of God's self-creation, your ultimate goals are really understanding, rest, participation, to know and to be known. There are very few things you need to win at. Well, as we look this election in the eye, I am fairly certain that both of our candidates have bought the prevailing system of the world. The system of most CEOs, business leaders, athletes, and actors, and even many Christians. Good leaders win. Good leaders get stuff done. Whatever it takes, whoever it is you happen to be. It's nice if you're nice, but it's not necessary. 
if you win, an ego might even be enviable. The goal is that you win, and by individually winning, you help your team win. Now, I want to be super clear right now. I, I, I am not pointing out a candidate, so don't try to like read between the lines. I'm not making a judgment about any particular candidate. I'm saying something about the prevailing ideas of what makes a good leader. So it should be interesting, if not even just a bit convicting, that today in our I Am series, Jesus defines good leadership in a radically different way. A good leader is one who leads through self-submitting love for the other. They lead with courage and direction and conviction but they lead motivated by a self-submitting love for the other. Our text that we're going to be in today is John chapter 10, uh, verses 11 through 17. If you want to start making your way there, we kept saying it's kind of in the middle, a little past the middle of your Bible to find uh, John. And we'll get there after a bit more setup. Um, these verses are part of a larger block of teaching that Tim kicked off last week at the beginning of chapter 10. It's probably titled something like The Good Shepherd. And throughout this series, uh, we've been investigating how Jesus uh, conscripts and fulfills these culturally and theologically rich image identification motifs and charges charges up our understanding of who he is and consequently what life is all about. And please also recall that in each of these image identification statements, Jesus has preloaded them with the scandalously, scandalously powerful divine name title of Yahweh or I Am. Each of Jesus' I am statements really rattles the creation and certainly rattles his original audience to the core. And we've also said throughout this series that context is frequently and fantastically key to understanding what Jesus is saying. Now, last week, Tim brought us into the context of this passage already. So we know that in John chapter 10, Jesus is teaching in Jerusalem at the festival of Hanukkah. That was known as the festival of rededication or lights, most commonly known to us as Hanukkah, celebrated on December 25th. And this minor Jewish feast uh, celebrated the rededication of the temple uh, and, and a uh, candle oil miracle uh, that took place in 165 B.C., so 165 years before the time of Jesus. And what had happened is, is a regional Greek ruler, a king by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, had gone into the temple, put a false idol on the altar, and dedicated it by sacrificing unclean pigs there. It's sort of the ultimate in the style of I win kind of leadership. Uh, and this was an ultimate affront to the Jews. And during that time, a zealous priest family rose up to push back against this specific atrocity, but really just to push back against the Greeking or Hellenizing of their culture. It started with a man named Mattathias, uh, but it really got rolling 
under his better known son, Judah. His son's name was Yehuda, and his nickname was Ha Maccabee, the hammer. Yehuda Hamakami. Do we have that picture of him up there? That's a very stern look on Yehuda Hamakami. His nickname means the hammer. And Yehuda Hamakami was known as a man with zeal for the Lord and a leader who was willing to put his own life on the line for the good of his people. A good leader is one who leads through self submitting love for the other. Now, uh, Judah was celebrated for almost two centuries by the time of Jesus as a good leader. But to be honest, uh, the threads of his good leadership were already fraying apart uh, as he lay dying. His uh, sons and grandsons and their wives, their leadership was increasingly pulled apart by this win, uh, self-aggrandizing call of leadership and winning. The leadership of those who came after him uh, deteriorates into mistrust, and power struggles, and deceit, misinformation, and murder. So that even by the time of Jesus, this dynasty of the Maccabees, this family of the Maccabees who held power for a little while, had actually become just another example, both of a great leader and also of self-motivated, win-framework kind of leadership. And the dynasty of the Maccabees gives way to the Herods, rather famously, who try to kill Jesus as a baby, kill John the Baptist, and um, are um, continue, what's the word I want to look for? Difficult, uh, persecute the believers. So that when we are talking about the festival of Hanukkah and this celebration of God's provision and good leadership, it was also sullied by failure. There was this underline that, that still these weren't the kind, right kind of leaders, and everybody there knew it. And that is why they were still waiting. By faith in Scripture, they had in mind a good shepherd leader who would come from God, but out of the line of David to rescue his people. From the beginning of their story, they've identified God as their good shepherd. Not only is it just an obvious ancient Near East theme, but it's their theme. As the patriarch Israel uh, was preparing to die and blessing his sons, he says in Genesis 48, 15, he says, uh, May God bless you, the very God who has been my shepherd all the days of my life. Tim and I have said so many times that the people of Israel are marked, their identity is made in the Exodus where God leads them out of Egypt into the promised land as their good shepherd. Psalm 78 recounts how God is their good shepherd. But most pointedly, woven throughout Scripture is God's promise that one day a true good shepherd leader would come embodied as the Messiah to lead them home. For a few golden moments, King David sort of reflected this possibility. 
for a short time. Maybe it was going to be David who it was. But then David's leadership was marred by this self-serving win kind of decisions making. And even though he corrected his legacy, was forever marred by that. So since that hope had been crushed because of David's writing, they were even waiting for David's greater son. This greater son, Messiah, who would come. David, literally a shepherd. So they're waiting for David's greater shepherd, Messiah, son. And honestly, almost all subsequent leaders since David had failed to lead like good shepherds. They had led like the prevailing philosophy of leaders. Win. Make myself great. Make my name great. Make my people great win. So that even by the time we get to the Old Testament, this ache persists. As it said in Micah 5 2, where is this shepherd Messiah? It says, Oh, Bethlehem, from you will come this shepherd Messiah. Perhaps the most famous lament in the scripture about the failure of good shepherd leadership comes in Ezekiel. 34. It's a long bit, but I want to read it for us this morning. Ezekiel 34, I'm going to read verses 1 through 16. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, speaking to the prophet Ezekiel. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of the shepherds. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, Woe to you shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds and clothe yourselves with their wool and slaughter the choice animals. In fact, instead of taking care of the flock, you literally consume the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep, God says, wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd... And has been plundered and become food for the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what I say. I count this against the shepherds. I will remove them from tending the flock. And now I'm going to skip ahead. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will do this. I will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he calls them, so will I look after my sheep. Verse 15, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Nevertheless, even into these dark times, the prophets did see ahead to a future hope. The prophet Isaiah, looking through the ages, sees this coming Messiah, good shepherd, and says of him in 40.11, 
He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. So the courageous and mighty ruler leader is also the gentle shepherd leader who slows down to carry the sheep next to his heart. So, loaded with all of that, I know that's a lot of setup, but to remember that to get these I am statements, we need at least to benefit from a fraction of the understanding that his audience hearers would have had when he said these words. That when he said them, it came loaded up with this whole line of expectation. They knew God as their shepherd. They were long awaiting a Messiah shepherd leader in the flesh. The setting at Hanukkah celebrated good leaders, but also pointed out underlying disappointment. They had lived through a line of loss. They lived with the Herods who ruled with wind power. Even the Pharisees and the priests are against Jesus because they love succeeding in rules more than they love people. Into that moment, in those days, Jesus stands up and says this. <laughs> I wish we had time. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, and I'm going to bring them in also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life. Jesus comes and says, I am the good shepherd. There again is the ego ami, the I am, this divine name title, I am the good shepherd. We actually have two definite articles here so that it is, I am the shepherd, the good one. Uh, I am the shepherd and I am the good one shepherd. Uh, there's no other like me. I am the good shepherd. Three times he says, I am the good shepherd. This word, Kalos that he uses to describe himself as good. It's an interesting word choice. It means here the beautiful, the morally correct, the one suited to his purpose, good shepherd. In contrast to all others and like God. What makes him the good shepherd? This week I'd love for you to take this passage and start reading through Verses 11 through 17. What makes him a good shepherd? Would you add to it Psalm 23, the most famous description of good shepherding? Take those two passages, and I want you in your small groups, in your home, or with your kids, 
underline, what is it that makes him a good shepherd? What are the attributes of a good shepherd? Today, I want to just point out the most obvious one, stated twice. I am the good shepherd because I lay down my life for the sheep. A good leader is one who leads through self-submitting love for the other. How does this line up with the list that you made in the beginning? You made a list of attributes of a good leader. How do these attributes, how does this idea line up with the list that you made? The interesting point to me is that this is not just a description of Jesus, but Jesus makes this a description of how his followers will lead as well. He says, I am the moral example of how you will lead. Famously, he washes his disciples' feet to show them that in self-submitting love does he lead them. I'd like you to take that and wrestle with these three additional questions this week. What do you think of Jesus' leadership? And I want you to be honest here. Do you think it's just uh, religious ideology? It can't work? Is it naive to think that this would work in the real world? Or is this the most powerful leadership way in the universe? Ask yourself, what kind of leader are you? In what way do you lead at home, in relationships, friendships, school, at work? Which way of life and leadership? When or self-submitting love? What kind of leader are you following? What kind of leadership ways? Jesus is the perfect model, in my mind, of the most powerful leadership. And he is a leader who totally knows you. A leader who will not let you down. A leader who leads you the right way every time and invites you into a life not defined by competition, but love. You are neither hawk nor dove. You are beloved sheep in the fold of the good shepherd. Would you join me in receiving Psalm 23 as a prayer today? Hear this as a prayer. The Lord is my shepherd, so I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I think like a sheep eating safely in its pen when wolves are in the wild. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.
Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Church. For more info on this and other sermons, visit us online at hcbellingham.com or join us at 9 or 11 a.m. any Sunday morning, 1400 Larrabee Ave, Bellingham, Washington.